0: We're reading this morning from Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 12 through 26, in the ESV translation. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king, only what has already been done? Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> got distracted. <laughs> oh, Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. and. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind." I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, what a glorious morning today is um, on so many levels. God, that uh, those who are here today whom you have called yourself, we wake up knowing that today um, like every other day in your kingdom, in fellowship with you, being your children, God, that your mercies are new every day. We praise you for that. Um, God, we thank you that um, for the, the reality that we can find supreme pleasure and happiness in you in spite of anything going on in our life. And God, I thank you also that we can find um, great enjoyment um, in the gifts that you've given us to enjoy. Yet at the same time, God, there is uh, we live in a world where that is full of trouble. Uh, we live in a world where, um, where people die, where people get sick, um, where there's poverty and homelessness, uh, where there are, uh, there's disease and things like cancer. And so God, I just pray that for your namesake, for your glory this morning, and for those that you have brought here today, God, that you would um, help us um, wrestle with the reality of the paradox that, um, that the preacher here in this book says that he hates life yet at the same time he tells us to eat, drink and enjoy this life. And that is a paradox and God is a place where we wrestle with. So I just pray Holy Spirit that you would instruct us this morning so that the Father would receive maximum glorification and that we would be edified. God, as usual, I just pray that you would edit uh, anything in my notes, that you would have me stand behind your word, not in front of it. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. Good morning. If you're new with us here this morning, we are uh, continuing through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, what we do here at Windsor Community Church is more times than not we preach through a book of the Bible. Um, We um, every pastor, every uh, communicator of the Word has, has hobby horses, has um, things that they want to emphasize, and going through the Word helps us uh, receive the full counsel, uh, full counsel of God. And, and when we um, run into um, uh, tough um, truths, um, we just end up there and we talk through it. And Ecclesiastes is a tough book. Um, as Pat said, it's, it's a book that is um, it is full of delight and truth, but it's also like, it, it hurts. It's like goads or thorns. It's prickly to us. Um, we are in our fourth sermon out of uh, maybe as many as 15 to 25. It'll be at least 15. And we're finishing up chapter 2 today that Jolene just read. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And I've titled today's sermon, Are You Enjoying Life? Are You Enjoying Life? It's not just a sermon title, it's a question that I'm hoping that you ponder. Um, No matter what's going on in your life, do you enjoy life? So far the preacher who is speaking in this book of Ecclesiastes has instructed us and reminded us that everything under the sun is vanity and like striving after the wind. And what he doesn't mean is that this life has no meaning, He doesn't mean that it's all um, worthless. What he means when he says that it's all vanity and striving after the wind, what he means it's like being out on a cold morning in Chicago and breathing out and seeing your breath that that it is there for a second and then it's gone. It's unsubstantial. We can't grab a hold of it. Striving after the wind is like chasing the wind around and then trying to grab it in our hands. That's how he describes Everything under the sun, everything happening on this earth, our achievements and all of life under the sun is like striving, is like vanity and striving after the wind. The more that the preacher looked at the madness and folly in this world, and the more that he used human wisdom to try to make sense of it, he said the more sorrow and grief he experienced. And that was in, I think we talked about that in sermon two, uh, that the more that we try to understand all the brokenness in this world, uh, the more grief and sorrow that it brings to us. Everything that the preacher, probably Solomon, built and achieved to bring himself pleasure was also vanity and striving after the wind. He He refused himself nothing. All that his eyes desired, he did not deny them. He denied himself no pleasure. And after he found pleasure in the moment, he continued to reward himself with pleasure after pleasure after pleasure, and he was never quite satisfied or never quite filled up. We saw from his life and his testimony that there's no ultimate gain in seeking pleasure. He did find momentary relief as he looked at the folly and the madness and the pain and the brokenness of this world. Um, he, he kind of turned, I, I picture him turning his head from that and just um, plowing himself into pleasure to anesthetize himself. He found momentary relief from all the folly and madness in the world and he found instant satisfaction that lasted for a second in his self-made pleasures. But then he needed to seek pleasure in the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. And then we saw last week in verse 11 that he closed off that section saying this. He said, then I considered all that my hands had done, all the toil and effort I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I live in this paradox, and I think you do too. There's this paradox of actually hating life. Um, Not in a suicidal depression way, at least not for me, and I praise God for that, but in a way that when I see the brokenness, the death, the sin, the pain, I hate it. And it's not God's fault, it's uh, humanity's fault. Yet even in this paradox of seeing and hating all that I see in life, I want to enjoy the moment and not worry about the future. Easy task. So how do we live inside this paradox, rightly, of both hating life and enjoying life? Nancy's dad, as I've mentioned before, is um, He's dying, like we're all dying. He's 87, though, and he's in short-term care. Um, we thought we would lose him last January, and here we are a year later. We got another, uh, we got another year of life with him. But I, I hate it that he has gained 16 pounds of fluid all around his heart, and they're, they've got him on a fluid restriction, and he's thirsty nonstop. I hate it that we probably have less, we have fewer days with him than we'd like to imagine. But at the same time, we're trying to enjoy life with him. We're trying to, especially Nancy, spend a time with her daddy. She is really enjoying at this stage of his life just sitting there and listening to all of his stories. Listening to his, about his childhood. We find pleasure when they take him out from the acute care center, um, put him on a bus, and send him to um, the doctor's office. I did on Friday when he's got this silly Elmer Fudd hat on that we get to make fun of him with. We're enjoying that. Are you enjoying life today? Are you enjoying life today? With all of its fears, with all of its brokenness, with all of its the potential of your dreams not coming to fruition, are you enjoying life today? Or here's the converse. Are you striving today, trying to protect and or secure a comfortable future that you can finally enjoy? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a 401k plan or a 403b plan plan in my case. There's nothing wrong with investing. There's nothing wrong with rental properties. It's all good. But are you foregoing enjoyment today to hope that one day, one day, I'll be able to enjoy it all? won't have to work nights anymore. won't have to work uh, 50 hours a week. I get to do what I want to do. In today's passage, the preacher continues his honest conversation with his original audience in Jerusalem and with us today. And I love the way this guy writes, even though at times it can be disheartening, but it's just like sitting across the table with somebody with a cup of coffee, and he's just processing out loud. These are all the things I've learned. These are all the things I'm processing, and he's doing it with us here in the book of Ecclesiastes. In today's passage we're going to continue to get an up close and personal look at the preacher processing more with us out loud. And he's going to acknowledge that he hates life. He hates life he says. And then at the same time he says there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. I think he's messed up. Can we do both of those things? On the one hand, he encourages memento mori, remember death. And on the other hand, he encourages carpe diem, seize the day. Enjoy the day. We're going to see the preacher contemplating death. And as he contemplates death, he's going to have two seemingly opposite responses. One is of anger, and the other is of enjoyment. So, We talk a lot about this here. We sing songs about this uh, and, and that is that we are to find ultimate joy and pleasure in Christ alone. So if we are to find ultimate lasting joy and pleasure in Christ alone, how am I to enjoy earthly things? Can I or even should I enjoy earthly things if Jesus is better? The answer is found in the scriptures of course but at first glance at the scriptures they seem to contradict each other. And we know that Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture, that Scripture actually proves out Scripture. But listen to this. We're to find pleasure in God alone. Colossians 3, 1-2. Seek the things above, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 3, 7-8. In comparison to Christ I count all things as excrement. Psalm 73, I desire nothing but you. Nothing but you except that and that and that and that. Scripture also says that we're to enjoy and receive His gifts. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4. everything from God is good and nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 6, He richly provides us everything to enjoy. James says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Let's just dive in verse 12. I'm not going to be reading verses 12 through 17 so I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open. He observes that all the wisdom, all the madness and folly in this world all all the wisdom and madness and folly in the life of others before him will be repeated by him and others after him. Whatever happened in the past will happen in the future. There's nothing new under the sun. He can only do, the preacher Solomon can only do what has already been done. And he's really saying here, what's the use? Why should I be overly wise? Why should I operate with wisdom? Verse 13 uh, through the first part of 14, he continues to cross out loud. He acknowledges right here that there's actually an the advantage of living wisely over being foolish. But he's going to go on to tell us that there's no lasting advantage. There's no lasting gain. But he says there is an advantage to being wise versus foolish in the same way that light is better than darkness. The wise can see and the fool walks in the dark. The wise presumably are going to make less mistakes. Presumably. The wise presumably are going to endure less pain. The wise presumably are going to have more possessions and a safer retirement to enjoy. But then the second half of verse 14th of verse 16, he says, but it's not lasting gain. It's not a lasting advantage. The same end comes to the fool as comes to the wise. That they're both gonna die and they're both gonna be forgotten. We're really what we do here really is we look for the most positive scriptures we can find, and then we like, we proclaim them. <laughs> most churches have a, you know, they're like secret sensitive. We're just actually trying to get you out of the door to another <laughs> church. He's saying, what's the use? Those who are overly wise and lived wisely are not remembered any more than the fool. We all end up dead. We all end up being um, not remembered. What's the use? Why have I been overly wise? Why not just live like a fool? It's more fun anyways. Can't I just go to the synagogue on Saturday and live my life any way I choose the other six days of the week? What he's saying here is that being overly wise has no lasting advantage. All the degrees that you want to pile up, the masters and the doctorates, are no advantage ultimately than somebody that has a GED. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't have it. Doesn't mean that it's bad. But he's just processing, what am I doing? Spending all my time Striving after this, more gain in wisdom, more gain in stuff. Foregoing enjoyment today for future enjoyment. And this is a thread that goes all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 9, 2 through 3 it says something similar. He says this, he says, it is the same for all, all of humanity since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event, death, happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. You know we've all done foolish things. We've all done foolish things. We've all done things that we weren't supposed to do and then what's worse is when we do foolish things and we're not caught in them it perpetuates the pattern. Because at some level, uh, that foolishness was enjoyable. And what the, what the preacher is saying, if we can't beat the principle that there's no lasting gain or advantage of wisdom over foolishness, why not join the fools? Being wise guarantees nothing ultimately. So we're saying, why live wisely if I can't alleviate poverty? Why live wisely if I can't cause people to listen to me? Why live wisely if I can't keep my kids safe? Why live wisely if there's no guarantee of a safe and secure retirement? And his final response to all this in verse 17 is simply three words. I hated life. The paradox of life is too much for the preacher to handle. He looks at the injustice once again and the brokenness in this world and he says he hates it. This is actually similar to what he already said in chapter 1 verse 18 that in much wisdom is sorrow and grief. The more that we see of the brokenness in the world the more that we hate death and sin and cancer and abortion. That's what he means when he says that he hates life. He says that everything is so distressing, everything is so evil, and he says there's nothing I can do to be remembered or to stay alive. Shouldn't there be a better end for the wise? And what he's not saying here, when he's saying that I hate life, he's not depressed. He's not suicidal. Some are, and I recognize that. And that's a grievous lot for somebody to carry. But what he's saying here is not that he's depressed, not that he's anxious, he's saying that I hate it. I hate life, not God. I think it's actually a healthy hate. And another thing to remember um, hating life in this way is not absent of faith. Sometimes it's faith itself that causes us to cry out when we're distressed. That God, I can't, I'm tired of the death, I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the brokenness. The psalmist said in Psalm 18 in my distress I called upon the Lord to my God I cried for help from his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. The author of Hebrews says the same thing or something similar in chapter 14. Let us in with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God help me. I can't fix any of this. I hate all of this. Zach Esquine said this. If a child believes that her parents cannot handle what she actually feels, she will pretend that all is well, or worse, she will constantly throw tantrums. And here's what this saying is that that God wants to hear from us. That, That God can handle any of your thinking wrong or rightly, God knows that this is a broken world that we live in. And he wants us to come to him. You see, the the preacher's greatest problem, his ultimate problem is death. He realizes that even living wisely in this way will not stop him from being placed in a box six feet below the ground. So he's saying wisdom is good. It's like, it's like light in darkness. But wisdom's not our savior. So as we transition to verse 18, after acknowledging the futility of being overly wise that leads to the same end as those who are foolish, he now reflects on how all this hard work and achievements is causing him sorrow and grief. He said, I hate life. Now he says, I hate all my efforts and toil. What do I get from them? He says, I hated, verse 18, all my toil in which I toil under the sun. I hated all my efforts in which, I, in which I exert effort under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a foolish man. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned. I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill like me must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't didn't exert effort or toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So after lamenting the vanity of being overly wise, he now expresses his anxiousness about the future. He laments that he has to leave everything he's labored for to the one who comes after him. And he doesn't know who that's going to be. Or maybe he does know who that's going to be. It seems to me he cares more about his legacy and his stuff than he does about the people receiving it. The money, the business, the home, the the possession of those things is neutral. It's It's neither good nor bad but he's worrying about it. It's keeping him up at night. I experienced something similar to this as far as um, wor- uh, people worrying about their possessions. When I was a vice president with a major brokerage firm, I worked with wealthy people that had, that had enabled their kids all throughout their life and now they had kids that were dysfunctional and they, were, they stayed up at night worrying about how their kids were going to treat all the wealth that they accumulated. So they set up trusts. They set up trusts that once they died, these trusts would then dispense, like a hamster dispensing pellets money to their kids at certain ages in their lifetime. And that's not necessarily bad. Trusts and, and things in the legal system aren't bad. But it's the fact that they lost so much sleep because they wanted to protect everything that they earned for. Nancy and I didn't do that. It's not because we're self-righteous, it's because we figured our kids could learn how to split 125 bucks. (laughs) The picture here is a man with great wisdom, great knowledge, and great skill building an empire to one day be enjoyed by himself in retirement and for his family to one day enjoy when he's gone. But what if he doesn't get to enjoy it? What if everything you're building today You're working hard. You're putting money in the 401k plan. You're taking advantage of the match, which is good stuff, but you're forgoing enjoyment. You're so stressed out about how you're going to retire. You're so stressed out about what you're going to leave your kids and what they're going to do with that money that you don't enjoy the moment today. Some of you Some of us are overly concerned about protecting what we've already achieved and built up. Others of us are overly concerned about the need to achieve and build up for the future. In both scenarios, the picture is one who is so stressed out about the future that they're not enjoying the present we spend our hours working, out, working hour after hour, day after day to secure a future that is uncertain. Every Monday, I ho I ho it's off to work we go. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I picture those guys like pulling mine, uh, diamonds out of the mine. There's never enough for them. I'm not sure what they're working for. I haven't watched that movie in a while. But they're working, working, working. So the preacher despaired over all of his accomplishments because he is stressed that he won't be able to enjoy the fruit of his labor. And then we see in verse 21 that somehow he thinks it was his wisdom and his skill and his knowledge that accomplished everything that he has. And can I just give you a news flash? I know there are some people in this body, most of you that I know that are very wise have great skills and have great knowledge. Um, Anything you have your house, your car, your bank account, your uh, your degree. It's not you. It's not your skill. It's not your knowledge. It's not your wisdom. Yet yeah, God cooperated with that but it's all a gift from Him. It's all a gift from Him. Now the, the answer isn't like, like just be a slug. He's given you gifts and we're to steward those. But any Good thing that comes from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from Him, the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift. There's nothing you earned. I'm sure glad I came here today. Verse 22. What has a man or woman from all the toil, all the effort and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow when his work is vexation or grief. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. What is it that makes all of our efforts, all of our toil and striving of heart under the sun, sorrowful and full of grief and causing us sleepless nights? All of that is under the sun, it says. It says that for, for um, where is it here? What is a man from all the toil and the of heart from which he toils beneath the sun? Under the sun, remember what under the sun is? It means that everything that's happening on this earth, everything that's happening in life, but, but as I do further study on it, that when he says under the sun, it's actually done, everything done on this earth apart from God, apart from God. So in verse 22, he asks the question, what is a man from all the toil and striving at heart with which he toils beneath the sun? What has a man? And he answers his own question in verse 23. For all his days are full of sorrow. What does he get? Sorrow. And his work is vexation. What does he get? Grief. And even at night, he, his heart does not rest. What does he get? Sleepless nights. This also is vanity. All, this is what I get from my wise, knowledgeable, skillful accomplishments are days full of sorrow and work that brings grief. You see, he's worked all of his life building a comfortable life for, for himself and for his family, and now he spends his time obsessing on how not to lose, lose it all. He even loses sleep. So here's a partial conclusion. When all of our days are full of sorrow and grief and we can't sleep at night, what is it that's happening above the surface? What is it that's happening in our hearts? And I think it's one of two things. One of two questions that we're asking ourselves we may not even be, know that we're asking. Question number one is, how do I protect all that I built, accomplished, and achieved? Everything that's been given to me, even if you have a right view that you didn't earn anything, but God's given it all to you, you spend sleepless nights, how do I protect it all? How do I protect my kids? How do I protect my bank account? Or the second question, how do I build a life I can enjoy one day? Question number one, how do I protect all that that I've built, accomplished, and achieved or received? Second question, how do I build a life I can enjoy one day? And praise be to God He gives us a remedy for this in verses 24 through 26. He says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink. And find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Praise be to God. I've been waiting four weeks to get to this verse. (laughs) That we can enjoy life. Life is not meant to be a downer. God is not a kill joy. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Forever. How about if we were to say that the chief in the man is to glorify him today and enjoy him today. It's, it's not glorify God and enjoy him one day. It's glorify God and enjoy him today and his good gifts. This is a wake-up call. It, it seems like a dichotomy. There's nothing better than eating and drinking and enjoying all that we do. Notice he says this. He's not saying under the sun now. We can do this because everything we have, everything we accomplish, all the fruit of our toil and efforts is ultimately from the hand of God. Nothing we achieve is a result of our wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And when we understand that you can start enjoying it instead of worrying about it. He gives and he takes away. We sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, when we do all for the glory of God, not waiting for the future fruit to start enjoying it, but enjoying the journey, it pleases Him, as it says in verse 26. And what does it mean to please Him? It means to glorify Him. It means to be satisfied in Him. We talked about this last week. I'm so thankful for Pastor John Piper's words that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Instead of seeing that that everything I've got is from my achievements, my skill, my knowledge, we say, God, everything is a good and perfect gift from you. And the way that we glorify him is we take the spotlight off ourselves as achieving everything and we put the spotlight on him. You want to know what it means to glorify God and to be pleased in him? Is to take the spotlight off yourself and your achievements and your knowledge and your wisdom and put it back on him, the giver of all good gifts. I've got a fun example here from a guy that I have no idea where he's at spiritually. But he's an icon. He is soon to be one of the most famous people in the world. Not speaking of my grandson. Speaking of Nolan Arenado. I was reading this article just two days ago. And Nolan Arenado, if you know anything about him, just signed a $26 million um, contract, one-year contract to avoid arbitration. And he's going to be, I think it's called a free agent after this year, and he may get the highest contract that's ever been known in Major League Baseball, probably $30 million a year guaranteed for seven years. And when the reporter asked Nolan about the possibility of signing a long-term contract with the Rockies, he responded this way. He He said, I have a bigger purpose and more important things to worry about which is getting ready for the baseball season. He said, all that money talk and contract talk, that's something for my agent to worry about. He can take care of that. I just worry about going to play, man. That's about it. The times I get caught trying to control things, to control the uncontrollable, that's when I find myself getting into trouble. So I just try to enjoy every day. When you don't have it, He's talking about money. Easy for him to say. He just got $26 million. When you don't have it, he says, it feels really important. And then he finished, once you do have it, you realize that it should never be the number one thing. I'm just not even going to worry about it. It's beautiful. I mean, I think through a spiritual lens. I think through a a sovereign God who is in control who can work good out of my lack of knowledge, wisdom, and achievements. And he can choose to work, well, it's always working good, but he can choose maybe not to bless me in the way I think I should be blessed because of all of my intellect and my wisdom and my knowledge. I can trust the agent of my life with my life. When Martin Luther was asked how he would live if he knew he was going to die soon, he said this, if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I'd still plant my apple tree. I enjoy gardening, he said. You may be wrong, the world may not end tomorrow. I'm going to plant my apple tree anyways. And if if the world ends tomorrow, I would have enjoyed today planting my apple tree. If the world doesn't end for another couple hundred years, there will be an apple tree for future generations to enjoy. I'm going to plant my apple tree. Enjoy your toil. Enjoy everything today. It's all a gift from Him. First Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, who's the rich in this present age? You are. I am. It doesn't matter if you're employed or unemployed, actually. In America, you are the rich, comparatively speaking. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I'm going to scoot down because we need to finish up. But he's just encouraged us to find pleasure in the moment and not always looking to the future. One day when X, Y, or Z happens. One day when I finally have what I need, I'll be happy. Enjoy life to now, he says. Enjoy life now. So you might be asking the question, so God wants me to pursue pleasure and happiness. No, He doesn't actually. He does not want us pursuing pleasure or happiness. He wants us to pursue faithfulness and take pleasure in the everyday. We don't have to seek it. It's here. It's there pursuing pleasure as an end in itself is like chasing after the wind. Enjoying it now as a gift from God will actually increase your overall enjoyment in God. It's all from the hand of God. Apart from Him we have nothing to enjoy. Apart from Him we can't fully enjoy His good gifts. Does anybody know who Joe Rigney is? I think he's the guy that took Piper's place. Can anybody confirm that for me? I think he is. Um, I saw a head nod maybe? Yeah, I don't know. But just Joe Rigney guy, hopefully he didn't turn out to be a heretic because I really liked what he was saying. Um, so, so do I enjoy God or do I enjoy God's gifts? And he says there's a comparative answer. There's no comparison. Jesus is better. Our ultimate final enjoyment, satisfaction and pleasure is found in Christ. There's a, there's a comparative. But he said there's also an integrative answer. We enjoy God in everything and we enjoy everything in God. We enjoy God in everything and we enjoy everything in God. He goes on to say that we should live an integrative approach, enjoying God in everything and everything in God and then apply the comparative approach to make sure that our worship is properly directed. That's where we get turned around. We end up worshiping the gifts instead of the giver. What the preacher is teaching us is that the the provisions that God gives us are meant to take center stage actually with God. These are His gifts to us. They are not excrement. They're They're not rubbish to be thrown in a trash can while we carry our Bibles waiting with praise the day of death to come. Yes, our hope is in the future. Yes, we've been born again to a sure inheritance that is undefiled. It won't perish. It'll never rot. But he came to give us life and life abundantly. So I'm going to close off with just these six quick bullet points. I know it's supposed to be a three-point sermon. So how do we learn to enjoy these good gifts while not letting them fully satisfy us? or making them our functional savior. Number one is to find pleasure in him. Apart from him, there's no lasting pleasure or enjoyment. Number two is seek to please him and glorify him. Three is recognize that he's in ultimate control of your future. Yes, um, honor and glorify him with your knowledge and your skill and your wisdom steward it well, but know that he's in ultimate control. Next is, I want you to remember that you're dying. Every one of you, you're dying. And the fact that we're dying is all the more reason to cook a fish, to eat a cricket. I ate one last week. I had pasta with ants and crickets on it. Why? Why? It was on the menu. Cook a fish. Eat a cricket. Have a whipped cream fight. Enjoy today. But you might say, have you seen the pain in this world? Have you seen the brokenness in this world? Yes. I've seen it. Enjoy a sunset. Play catch with your son. Have a conversation with your child when their homework is supposed to be worked on. God is in all these good gifts. They're all a foretaste of heaven. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he chopped wood, he made a fire, he cooked a fish, and he had a conversation with his friends in the midst of brokenness. Yes, he died and he conquered the power of sin and the guilt of sin. He rose again from the dead so that we would have sure life that one day when we die, But he was getting ready to ascend to heaven in the midst of the world still being broken. And he still took time with his friends to to cut the wood, build the fire, cook the fish, eat the cricket, and enjoy conversation with his friends. Take notice and enjoy all the good gifts today. You see, his good gifts are actually a pathway to worship. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The more sunsets we see, the more children we have, the more conversations we enjoy, the more fish we cook and the crickets we eat, we see that he is a good and loving God. So his good gifts are a pathway to worship. And maybe finally, instead of thanking God, it's Friday. Thank God for your work. Thank God for your work. Some of you feel guilty enjoying yourselves when there's so much pain and brokenness in the world. My wife and I talked about that. She says that sometimes she deals with that when her sister died and her dad is suffering, she goes, like, is it okay for me to be enjoying things? Have you ever wrestled with that? Can I just say that it is? That, that, there's, that there's these, these dual um, emotions that, that can coexist inside of God's economy that we hate the pain and suffering in this world. While at the same time enjoying the good gifts from God. Because life is but a vapor. Yesterday's pleasure is like a canceled check, tomorrow's is like a promissory note, and today's is like cash in hand. Stole that from somewhere. Enjoy today. Spend today glorifying God and enjoying Him and all of His good gifts. Yes, do it forever, but let it start today. There's so much to be joyful about. Would you pray with me? God, I bless you. I thank you that you are a good and loving God. I thank you that all your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that that even though you had to pronounce a curse on this earth because of the sinfulness of humanity, that you took no pleasure in that, but that you actually were pleased to send um, your only begotten Son who joyfully and willingly uh, emptied himself and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. In the midst of this futile, futility under the sun. And died the death that we deserved and victoriously rose again from the dead. And I thank you, God, that our ultimate hope is in you and what was accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. And that will be accomplished one day when you come back to judge the living and the dead. And I thank you, God, that even though your um, creation, that everything that you created good, very good, even though it's been marred, it's still good. There's still good gifts that you want us to enjoy. So God, would you help us with this, um, um, this dichotomous uh, paradox, if I can put those two words together, of how to um, actually hate the things that you hate? and enjoy um, you, a uh, relationship with you, and all the good gifts that you've given us. And may we continually give you all the glory and the praise and the honor. May we continually shine the spotlight on you, the one who saves, the one who gives good gifts. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And We pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm.
0: and close their service together.